0: Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. For this show, I have three brand new movies to review for you. Movie theaters are open, but actually the two out of the three films that I'm reviewing for you are only available on streaming, at least as far as I know. And the third one is available in several independent theaters. So we'll get to the first movie, which I think is going to be the biggest movie of the week, and that is the Disney Pixar film, Luca, which is available on Disney plus right now, that will be the first movie I'm going to be reviewing. It is a brand new animated feature directed by Enrico Casarosa in his feature length directorial debut. Now, Enrique Casarosa has actually already been nominated for one Oscar for having directed a movie called La Luna, which is a short film that came out in 2011, and this was a film that was that screened before a Disney Pixar feature length film, but I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, what film it came before, but Enrique Casarosa has actually worked his way up in, uh, Disney Pixar. He has been in the art department and has worked on such films, not necessarily, uh, Disney Pixar films. He's worked on ice age. He's worked on robots from 2005. His first Disney picture art film where he worked as a storyboard artist was Ratatouille. And then he worked his way up to the movie up from 2009. And he also was the story artist for Coco, Lu- uh, Luca, which is the movie I'm about to, uh, tell you, um, what I think of is set on the Italian Riviera, uh, circa 1963, where an unlikely but strong friendship grows between a human being and a sea monster disguised as a human. It's actually uh, two sea monsters that are disguised as humans. And this is an original story, which director Enrico Casarosa came up with. And it also involved collaborations between... Uh, Jesse Andrews and Mike Jones, both of whom wrote the screenplay, and Simon Stevenson, just to say. And the reason that I'm putting out these names and saying that it's an original story is because there are elements of the story that reminded me a lot of The Little Mermaid. And I I do compare it favorably to The Little Mermaid. And it also reminds me of the Ayo Miyazaki film Ponyo which is a great animated feature that was released in the United States and dubbed into English in 2009, and it's since become a cult classic. It wasn't a huge box office hit, but with Disney's distribution, it it, it got more exposure in the Western world than it probably would have without Disney's help. So I was reminded of both those films, Uh, but I'm not going to say Luca is a ripoff of The Little Mermaid. It just has enough in common with the film. But Luca is the sea creature, and he's voiced by Jacob Tremblay, who is still a young kid. I, I don't think he's even 18 yet. And he befriends another sea creature by the name of Alberto Scorfano, who is voiced by Jack Dylan Grazer, a voice actor with whom I'm not entirely familiar, but Luca lives under the sea with his mother, Daniela, who's voiced by Maya Rudolph, who has been voicing a lot of animated characters recently. And his father, Lorenzo, who's voiced by, uh, Jim Gaffigan. And there are a number of voice actors here. Surprisingly, there aren't too many that are of Italian descent. But there are some. But they are in supporting roles. But as I was watching this, I was thinking there's nothing wrong with, in this case, actors who are American or who are not of Italian descent who are voicing these Italian characters. But in the same way I felt when I watched Coco, I thought to myself, I would love to see this film dubbed into Italian if it hasn't been dubbed there already. I know with... Disney Plus, you can you can change the language settings, and I have not seen Coco in Spanish yet, although I do know that Coco has been released in Mexican Spanish in other countries as well as on DVD and Blu-ray, and I think Luca's going to be the same kind of deal here, but anyway, Luca and Alberto befriend each other at first under the sea, and they share a bond and that they like to collect things that people who have been on boats have uh, dropped below, um, dropped into the sea accidentally, kind of like the little mermaid, just saying, but Alberto goes to the surface of the ocean, which Luca's mother, Daniela tells him absolutely not to do. And much to Luca's surprise, he finds that like Alberto, he transforms from a sea creature like the creature of the black lagoon, not exactly looking like that, but very close to it. He finds himself actually transforming into a human being. Almost the second he reaches the surface of the ocean. And he finds that he, he can breathe air and basically act the same as a human being, like everyone else around him. So Alberto and Luca, bond on surface level, literally and figuratively, when they both collaborate and try to build their own Vespa, which back in 1963 was a new motor vehicle that in Italy has not lost its popularity, or at least as far as I know. And eventually they befriend a human being named uh, Giulia, who is voiced by Emma Berman. Again, I don't... (laughs) I don't think she's of Italian descent, but I could be wrong. But as I said, in this film, there's nothing wrong with people who are not of Italian descent voicing these Italian characters. But I would eventually like to see an Italian version of, or an Italian dub of this movie. But I do think that even though I'm not unfavorably comparing this movie to The Little Mermaid and Ponyo, I do think it has a little bit too much in common with those movies. And I'm not saying that Enrico Castaroso, Jesse Andrews, or any of the other writers ripped off The Little Mermaid, but I do think that it, uh, besides the comparisons to The Little Mermaid, I do think that the plot is a little bit, predictable, particularly where you have parents who don't want their son to go up to the surface of the ocean and interact with other human beings. And there's also a Vespa race with a very cocky big fish in a small pond who lives in the small town on the Italian Riviera. And I think from there, there's a Vespa race that unfortunately is very predictable and not particularly inspiring. It's not just predictable when you find, um, as to who wins the race, but it's also very predictable what happens to the characters who are the protagonists and the antagonists at the conclusion of the race. So I'm not going to rip too much on this film because overall I did enjoy it. I thought the animation was fantastic. I did like the chemistry between Jacob Tremblay and Jack Dylan Grazer in their animated forms. And when Emma Berman came in as their, uh, friend, who's a girl, I I liked the dynamic that the three of them had. It just was a lot more predictable than other Disney Pixar films and the animation, well, the movies that Disney Pixar releases, both feature length and short, are not, are are great because they are original stories that veer away from predictability a lot of the time. I would say that Luca is a good Disney Pixar film, but I wouldn't say it's great. It's not a home run movie the same way that all the Toy Story films were or WALL-E or several other uh, Disney Pixar films would be, particularly Soul, the The Disney Pixar film that came out before Luca, I wouldn't call Luca home run, but if we're talking baseball terms, I would probably call it a a solid base hit. But again, Disney Pixar has still not, in my opinion, to this very day, come out with a movie that is terrible. And I would probably say the quote unquote worst Disney Pixar film is still better than 95% of of movies that are released by other animation studios. So Luca gets my rating of a high, but still a checkout. I wouldn't call it the worst of the Disney Pixar films. and certainly not the worst of animated films, but I did think that it didn't quite match that bar that Disney Pixar set admittedly high, high enough to drive an 18 wheeler underneath, but it was still a good film. And I do think that director Enrico Casarosa, who has been storyboarding for quite some time, has the potential to make a better animated film after this. But I do think that Luca, and I don't mean this to be patronizing. I think Luca is a good start. It's just not a great film. It's certainly, there are films that came after, or excuse me, that, that were released by Disney Pixar that far exceed the quality in terms of animation and storytelling of Luca, but I do, mm, but I do think it is a serviceable movie. So that's all I have to say about Luca. It's a high checkout. (laughs) Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Fatherhood, which is a Netflix original that was actually sold to Netflix amid the COVID-19 pandemic and was digitally released on Netflix's platform on June 18th, 2021. It's directed by Paul Weitz, and Paul Weitz has had extensive experience in the uh, movie business. He and his brother Chris Weitz ha- have separately and collaboratively been part of several big movies. As far as directing goes, Chris Weitz has directed such movies as Grandma from 2015, Admission from 2013. Let me see what he's directed Uh, previously he directed, um, down to earth, which was, oh, excuse me. He made his directorial debut with American pie. Uh, Yes. The movie American pie in 1999. He directed Chris rock in down to earth in 2001. He directed Hugh Grant in about a boy in 2002. He directed Dennis Quaid and Tover grace and Scarlett Johansson in, in good company in 2004. And, uh, he's, yeah, his, his repertoire has been hit or miss, but fatherhood is probably his best film since about a boy. And it stars Kevin Hart in his first dramatic role and fatherhood certainly has its funny moments. After all, you do have Kevin Hart and Lil Rel Howery in the same film, but it is overall a a bit more dramatic than other films in which Kevin Hart has acted so far. But Kevin Hart, just a bit of a spoiler alert, does an amazing job in this film, even through some of the sad moments. So this movie, Fatherhood, not to be confused with the 1993 movie starring Patrick Swayze, is about a father who brings up his baby girl as a single dad after the unexpected death of his wife who died a day after their daughter's birth. So Kevin Hart plays Matt Logalin, who is actually a real person who wrote a memoir upon which this movie is based, which is called two kisses for Maddie, a memoir of love and loss. And as I was watching this film, I didn't think, but before I found out that it was based on a memoir, That it could that it was a true story. Although I was watching this film, thinking that it it didn't feel formulaic. It felt like a film that was very true to life, and the fact that it's based on a memoir does not take away from the effect that this movie has. Especially if you've been if you've had a loss or a close loss. In your family. I haven't had a loss in my immediate family yet, but I have had losses in my extended family that have had a reverberating effect. And this movie certainly hits close to home when it comes to how I've seen my other relatives deal with a loss in their immediate family. And even some friends of mine who have experienced it, who have experienced losses in theirs. And there are several, uh, poignant moments between Kevin Hart and just about everyone else who acts in this film, particularly, um, Kevin Hart's character's relationship with his in-laws, i.e. the, the parents who lost their daughter unexpectedly, there is um, his mother-in-law Marion, who's played by Alfred Woodard, and his father-in-law Mike, who's played by Frankie Faison. And even though the actress Deborah Ayarinde, who plays Kevin Hart's first wife, uh, Liz Loglin, does not um, isn't in this movie for very long, she certainly leaves an impact. And also, the movie jumps five years. Ahead where Kevin Hart is still a, a struggling parent, but he's raising a very good daughter in Maddie, who's played in her six-year-old form by an actress who I don't believe has had any prior screen time. Her name is Melody Hurd. And Kevin Hart and Melody Hurd have such great chemistry together. It is really sweet. And also, there are some great supporting performances in this movie. I I mentioned Alfre Woodard and Frankie Faison, who are usually great even when they're in bad movies, but his best friends and co-workers are played by Lil Rel Howery and Anthony Kerrigan, and they're great in their roles. I also really liked the relationship between Kevin Hart and his boss, Howard, who's played by Paul Reiser. And... Paul Reiser plays probably a boss of the 21st century who understands that complications arise and wants to be sympathetic, but also has a business to run. And there are several funny scenes, but there are also scenes where you really feel for both Kevin Hart and Melody Hurd in their respective situations, including when Kevin Hart begins to date again and meets another woman whose name is also Liz, but whose nickname is Swan. And because she has the same name as Kevin Hart's uh, deceased wife, he begins to call her Swan a lot more. And Swan is played in a very good performance by Dewanda Wise. And when Kevin Hart, Dewanda Wise, and Melody Heard are all together in the same scenes, there's some magic that happens as well. And I really can't say enough great things about this film. It it actually means a lot to me to watch this film, not only because of the familiar stages of grief through which people go when they've lost a loved one, particularly unexpectedly, because the more unexpected a death is, the harder it is to grieve from that death. And I know that from life experience. But uh, on a less serious note, I identified a lot with this film because it takes place and was filmed in the great city of Boston, Massachusetts. And don't get me wrong, I film this or I record this show, and I do film it, from Nashville, Tennessee. But I lived in Boston for 11 years, and a piece of my heart will always be in Boston. So that when they go to Boston common and also the, uh, Boston public gardens where they're the, um, statues of the make way for ducklings ducks and melody. Hurd is seen playing around with them. I immediately felt my heart skip a beat. I love the city of Boston and I probably always will, but besides it being filmed and taking place in Boston, There are a lot of great things about this film that I thought really hit close to home. And of course, it wouldn't be as great a film, I don't think, without Kevin Hart in the lead. And truth be told, there are a few movies that make me cry. Fatherhood is one of them. and. It didn't make me cry throughout the whole thing, but there were moments that hit close to home with me, even though I can't yet relate to raising a child, let alone raising a child on my own. But I really loved this movie. I thought Kevin Hart had a a breakthrough performance in the film, and I couldn't see very many weaknesses in the film, which is why I'm giving fatherhood my rating of a knockout. Kevin Hart does... An amazing job in the film. Paul Weitz has had his best film in years having directed this film. And the supporting cast, Alfre Woodard, Lil Rel Howery, DeWanda Wise, Melody Hurd, Paul Riser, Anthony Kerrigan, Deborah Ayorinde, Frankie Faison, Thadra Porter, and all the rest. They all do a great job in this film. I really enjoyed Fatherhood. There are some moments that will make you cry But it feels like a release when you uh, cry during this film, which is why I could not recommend fatherhood any more than I just did. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is a film that is in theaters now, and it's called The Sparks Brothers. And this is a musical odyssey through five weird and wonderful decades with Ron and Russell Mail celebrating the inspiring legacy of Sparks. So the documentary is called The Sparks Brothers, but the band that Ron and Russell Mayle are still uh, um, part of to this day is called Sparks. The documentary is directed by Edgar Wright, and Edgar Wright is a prolific British director who has directed such movies as Shaun of the Dead, which I believe was his feature film debut. Actually, it wasn't, but it was the film that was his breakthrough um, film here in the United States. This is the one that put him as well as the, the stars Simon Pegg and Nick Frost on the map in America. His feature film debut was actually A Fistful of Fingers, which I have not seen. But he followed Shaun of the Dead in 2004 with Hot Fuzz, also starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in 2007. He also contributed the fake trailer Don't for the Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez collaboration Grindhouse, which was a box office failure, but was a better film than the box office gave it credit for being. Speaking of box office failures, Simon, excuse me, Edgar Wright also directed Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which was a box office failure when it came out, but I think it's one of those movies that in the 11 years since it's come out has been a, a bit more of a cult favorite. I know I certainly liked it. He also directed The World's End, re-collaborating with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. And the last movie he directed before the documentary, The Sparks Brothers, was Baby Driver, which was a surprise hit. And a very good uh, chase film. But the Sparks Brothers, from what I can see of Edgar Rice's filmography, is his first documentary. But wow, what a documentary. As you might expect, Ron and Russell Mayle are interviewed for this documentary. But you also have a plethora of musicians and artists, as well as actors, who are interviewed and are gushing about how long they've been a fan of Sparks. The only reason I feel bad about all these people gushing about Sparks is that I actually have to confess, I could pretend to be a hipster and say that I have been a fan of Sparks before they were cool. I'm not going to make that um, claim because truth be told, I have never heard of Sparks before this movie came out, but. When I was watching this documentary, I was ta- I was listening to how Beck, Mike Myers, Fred Armisen, Weird Al Yankovic, Nick Rhodes, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Todd Rundgren, and Patton Oswalt, just to name a few, were talking about how great the band Sparks was, not just their music but also their music videos, and I've been thinking to myself I know a lot about popular music from several decades. I used to host a show, a music show, when I was in college where I played a lot of underground music. How the hell did Sparks never come on my radar? But if there's one good thing about this documentary, it has probably made me a fan of Sparks. And Edgar Wright, as a documentary, uh, director actually keeps it pretty basic. The interviews, all of them are shot in black and white and the concert footage, as well as the music videos are given to you in their respective color glory. But I was actually really, um, taken aback by how, um, inventive and creative Sparks is as a band, which makes me wonder again, and forgive me for saying this too much. How did I not hear about these guys? So a little bit of background about Sparks. Of course, they are a rock and pop duo, which, um, brothers Ron and Russell Mayo formed in 1967. Yeah, they've been around for that long and they're still together to this day. The only band that is together to this day um that has been around longer than sparks is the rolling stones that is incredible how there's a, a band that is still active today that has outlasted everyone except the rolling stones they've even outla- outlasted aerosmith and that is yeah very um very impressive but when the early 80s hit Sparks apparently were a good fit into the new wave alternative rock scene, both on the radio and especially when MTV became a channel. And I know you kids might be too young to remember this, but the M M&M and MTV, believe it or not, stands for music because MTV used to play music videos in the eighties. They played music videos all the time. In the 90s, they had a good mix of music videos and non-music-related content. And now, not only do they never play music videos, they also play crap. There aren't any good animated shows. It's just, whenever I turn on MTV right now, it's just a ridiculousness marathon. And by that, I mean not only is the programming ridiculousness, but also there's that stupid America's Funniest Home Videos show for brain-dead idiots called ridiculousness. But it's great to see documentaries like the Sparks Brothers back when music video channels like MTV, especially MTV, were creative. And the artists that submitted music videos were also really creative. It was kind of like a silver age for music videos. I say silver age because I consider the golden age of music videos the 90s, but that's probably because I came of age in the 90s. But The 80s had a lot of creative music videos, but not a lot of them besides the ones that were, that, uh, Michael Jackson was in were particularly high budget. But even with that, Sparks had music videos that were very, um, shall we say appealing because of the fact that they were just ran with a low budget and were still very creative despite their limited means. And that is truly the sign of a great artist. And actually, I didn't realize how influential uh, Sparks was to other artists. For instance, um, the Sparks, the, the, the Brothers Mail, grew up in absorbing the music of the 60s, particularly the Beatles and the the British bands of the early to mid sixties, but there was one music video that Paul McCartney made with his band wing, which was called, um, I'm coming up. And it was directly influenced by sparks themselves. In fact, with Paul McCartney himself mimicking the male brothers, which has got to be the most sincere form of flattery. And the male brothers were in indeed um, <laughs> flattered by Paul McCartney imitating their style in that particular music video. But truth be told, Sparks has had a number of great songs of various genres. For instance, in 1979, they had a disco song called The Number One Song in Heaven. But then they, when they transitioned to synth-pop and new wave with songs like When I'm With You, I Predict, Cool Places, and When Do I Get to Sing My Way, just to name a few of the songs. Actually, the latter song, When Do I Get to Sing My Way, was their comeback song in 1994. But either way, I don't think they were really any bad songs among the bunch of them. And as you might expect, Sparks, like every popular band have, have had ebbs and flows when it's come to their popularity. For instance, in the late eighties, their popularity began to wane because alternative rock became heavier and angrier. And that's actually the kind of alternative rock that I still miss the kind by the red hot chili peppers and Nirvana and several other bands. I won't get into right now because I don't want to be too much of, um, a nostalgic, um, digression, but it's, it's great to see some of the things they were doing while they were in their slow period. Like for instance, they were actually collaborating with Tim Burton to adapt, a manga novel into a movie. And ultimately they didn't, uh, the movie with which they were collaborating with Tim Burton didn't come into fruition. They didn't say they had a falling out with Tim Burton or anything, but it made me wonder when I think about some of the films that Tim Burton was going to do and he was in pre-production, but then for some odd reason he couldn't get into production. It makes me think, it makes me want to just go to any studio shake the shoulders of uh, (laughs) the vice presidents of whatever and say, why can't you just give Tim Burton the money he needs and let him make whatever he wants? Because it's this film he was collaborating with, with Sparks, and there was a Superman movie he was going to do in the late 90s, which starred Nicolas Cage as Superman, and it's considered the greatest movie never made. I don't know, but I'll get back to this documentary, The Sparks Brothers. What I think differentiates good documentaries from great documentaries is a bit of a blurred line. It really depends on the person. But what I consider a great documentary is not only one that utilizes narration and interviews very well to tell a compelling story, but I also want documentaries to tell me something I don't know. And in this case, it told me who Sparks was, and who the male brothers are, not to mention how long they've been together, it told me a lot I don't know. And it makes me actually feel bad that I didn't know these guys in the first place, but it's a good thing I watched this documentary because I think I'm a fan of Sparks now, which is why this documentary, The Sparks Brothers, gets my rating of a knockout. And considering how much MTV Um, propelled their careers. I'm very surprised that MTV films did not distribute this movie themselves, but that's another topic for another time. I am glad that Edgar Wright directed this documentary as well as he did. I'm so glad to now know Ron and Russell Mayle, and I'm even considering downloading one of sparks's albums i'll probably start from the 80s and work my way up from there Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, and I have reviewed all the movies I have to review for you for this show. So now it's time for me to get into what's coming up next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to be released in theaters and streaming for the week, in this case, of June 19th through June 25th. We're going to start with movies that are coming out in theaters, or should be coming out in theaters that week, particularly on Friday, June twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. The biggest movie that's going to going to come out on June twenty fifth is going to going to be F nine, the Fast Saga, also known as the Fast and the Furious Part Nine. Yeah, this is actually this year is the twentieth anniversary of the first. Fast and the Furious movie, which starred Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Paul Walker, Ja Rule, and several other actors, not necessarily great actors, but they, um, I, I shouldn't say most of them because Paul Walker would be in this movie if he hadn't died. Let's, let's face it. It's really unfortunate that Paul Walker died, especially the way he did, but the Fast and the Furious legacy, for better or for worse, still lives on. So, in F9, Cypher enlists the help of Jacob, Dom's younger brother, to take revenge on Dom and his team. Truth be told, even though I am a cinephile and I host a show dedicated to movies, I actually have not seen a single Fast and the Furious movie. So, a number of people from the other Fast and Furious films appear in this film, including but not limited to Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Jordana Brewster, uh, Tyrese Gibson, and let's see who else. I don't know if Dwayne Johnson is in this film or not. Ludacris is in it. Charlize Theron, that's a huge name. Uh, Nathalie Emmanuel, who I don't know, but she's cute. John Cena is in this movie, probably taking the place of... um, Uh, Dwayne Johnson. Helen Mirren is in this film. (sighs) That is my mind exploding. Who knew? Helen Mirren is in a Fast and Furious movie. Wow. That means that love him or hate him, Fast and Furious is not going anywhere anytime soon. Another actor of note who's in this movie is Kurt Russell. But Because I have not seen any Fast and Furious films, I am not going to be seeing F9, but you can see it if you want to. It comes out in theaters nationwide on June 25th. Speaking of movies that come out in theaters, I am going back to the theaters now that I've had my double vaccination shot, but I did not get to see a movie I really wanted to see for the show, which was The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. I really wanted to see that film, even though I wasn't crazy about the first film starring Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson. I wanted to see this film just because I usually talk about the newest films, but I will try to see, uh, the Hitman's wife's bodyguard next week. And when I do, I'll let you know what I think, but another film that is subject to be released in theaters is a movie that's called Lansky. This is a biography crime drama. And even though it's a biography, it's not a documentary. But Lansky is about a man by the name of Meyer Lansky, who is investigated one last time by the feds, who suspect he has stashed away millions of dollars over half a a century. But this retired gangster spins a dizzying tale, revealing the untold truth about his life as the notorious boss of Murder, Inc. and the National Crime Syndicate. Already, that sounds like a hell of a documentary, but it's not a documentary. It's a movie that stars Minka Kelly, Anna Sophia Robb, David James Elliott, and Sam Worthington. So a number, number of really good actors in this film. If this is coming out in a the theater near me, I will see it, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. The other movie, the last movie that's going to be released in theaters, or at least is subject to be released in theaters on June 25th, is The Ice Road. This is a new movie with Liam Neeson in it, and it also co-stars Lawrence Fishburne, Marcus Thomas, and Amber Mid-Thunder, Thunder, excuse me. Um, Liam Neeson and Lawrence Fishburne, I know very well. They're both Academy Award nominated actors, but Liam Neeson has been going less Schindler's list over the last couple of years and more Charles Bronson. And again, uh, I do give Liam Neeson a bit of credit for being a prolific actor uh, since the 80s, but I, I feel like he's becoming a little bit more stoic in his acting roles since he's been in the movie Taken. But he is still a big name and he's still making money, so what's wrong with that? But The Ice Road, this is a movie about a remote diamond mine that collapses in far northern Canada And after this happens, a big rig ice road driver, Liam Neeson, must lead an impossible rescue mission over a frozen ocean to save the trapped miners. I am fascinated by ice road truckers, not only because of the cable TV show that's thrilling to watch, but also the fact that that is a need that people have in the northern hemisphere of the world, particularly where it is still cold. But I would imagine that global warming is probably the biggest hurdle over which, um, ice road truckers have to hurdle, but sounds like a fun film. I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but if it's out in theater near me, I will try to see it and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. I just went through the movies that are subject to be released in theaters, and there were only three of them this week, which means that there's probably a bigger movie coming um, the, the following week, which is going to be the 4th of July weekend. It starts on Friday, July 2nd and goes into July 4th. And that's usually when huge movies come out, but what movies are going to be coming out on the July 4th weekend? I won't tell you until next week. I will, however, tell you about the movies that are subject to be released on streaming for the week of June 20th to June 26th, 2021. And I'm going to begin with a Netflix original documentary. So I'm going to be covering Netflix right now. This documentary is called This Is Pop, which sounds like a music documentary. And considering how much I loved the Sparks Brothers documentary, This, this Is Pop, oh, excuse me, it's a docuseries, not a documentary. But I would still watch that because, heck, it looks like a lot of really great musicians from... Uh, Michael Bivens, to Benny Anderson, to Brandy Carlisle to Chuck D, to Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, and that's just naming a few, are going to be interviewed for this Netflix original series. Uh, website told me that's a documentary, but never mind. I, I won't be reviewing it for the show, but I probably will see it on my own time. However, on Wednesday, June 23rd, there is a Netflix original film, and this time I know it's a film, and it's called Good on Paper. This movie is an American film, from what I know. It's it's written by and starring Eliza Schlesinger, which is a bit of a mouthful to pronounce. And she's a good actress, from what I've seen her in. And after years of putting her career first, a stand-up comic meets a guy who seems perfect. Smart, nice, successful, and possibly too good to be true. The guy in this case is played by Ryan Hansen, who sounds like a familiar actor. And yeah, this sounds like an edgy romantic comedy. It is rated R, so it's probably better than your average romantic comedy. And this is a film that I will make it my my best point to see, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. The other movie that's going to be premiering on... Wednesday, June 23rd on Netflix is one that's called the house of flowers, and this is called the house of flowers, the movie. So I don't know if the house of flowers is based on a TV show or a video game. I just don't know. I think it's based on a TV show and the house of flowers is a movie or la casa de las flores la película. So it's a Spanish movie, obviously. It is a movie about the De La Mora siblings who concoct a mischievous plan to break into their old family home to retrieve a hidden treasure of significant importance. And it's not telling me what kind of movie this is, if it's a comedy, if it's a drama, if it's an action film. So I can't tell you what, but it is based on a TV series called La Casa de las Flores. It's obviously... Spanish, but I think maybe it's not specifically Spanish, but rather Mexican. It stars Aislin Derbez and Andrea Chaparro, and Ais- Aislin uh, Derbez is a Mexican actress, so this is probably a Mexican movie and a Mexican TV series. This might not be one that I review for you, but who knows, maybe something will happen. But there's another documentary that might be a docu-series that's also premiering on Wednesday, June 23rd on Netflix, and it's called Murder by the Coast. Let me see what this is. This could be a docu-series because I've seen several docu-series on Netflix that I was promised were documentaries. This is a documentary that is um, actually of another language. Its actual title is El Caso Wanakoff Carabantes. Wanakoff sounds like a German name. Carabantes sounds Spanish. So maybe it's a... um, Well, anyway. The movie is about a teen whose name is Rocio (laughs) Wanakonoff, a mixture of uh, nationalities there, who in 1999 as a teenager was murdered. His mother's ex-partner... Dolores Vasquez is suspected. Did she do it? A second victim reveals the truth. This is directed by and written by, if you want to call a documentary written by, Tania Balo. But then again, it's um, it's not presumptuous to think that somebody wrote a documentary. Somebody has to take that found footage and put it in a story form. So yeah, that that would be considered writing. Plus you'd have to write narration. But Tania Balo, I don't know too much about other than some of her previous films, but this is a movie I will see because I love a good murder mystery and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. So moving on to Thursday, there are two films that are going to be premiering on Netflix. One is called The Seventh Day. Which the site is not telling me is telling me is not a Netflix original. It is, however, a twenty twenty-one film. It stars Guy Pierce, great actor, as well as vadhir Derbez and Stephen Lang. It's about a renowned exorcist who teams up with a rookie priest for his first day of training. As they plunge deeper into hell on earth, the lines between good and evil blur and their own and their own demons emerge. So it kind of sounds like The Exorcist in terms of plot, except for the fact that The Exorcists are the central characters in this film. Who knows? I might just give this one a chance. I know that Netflix is distributing it, but it is not a Netflix original. The documentary that's going to be premiering on Thursday, June 24th, is called Sisters on Track. Let me see what this one is. Uh, it looks, it, as I said, it's a documentary. And as it's loading, it is a coming of age story about hope, belonging, and the metaphorical and literal sisterhood of young athletes Ty, Rain, and Brooke Shepard living in New York. This sounds like and looks like a fascinating documentary. It looks like these three athletes are no older than 16, and apparently their thing is is track. So I am very, very curious to see this film. And if I see it, I'm not guaranteeing that I will, but I hope to, I will let you know what I think on next week's show. So as it turns out, there is one film that's going to be premiering on Netflix on Friday, June 25th. And it's actually one of the ones I mentioned on my spoken word preview of movies that will be released into theaters. And it turns out the only Netflix original that will be premiering on Friday, June 25th is The Ice Road, which makes me more uh, confident that I will see the film and review it for you on next week's show. So that's it for the Netflix films. Let's see what's on other podcast. Excuse me. I said podcasting platforms, bad habit. Um, There are no new films that are going to be premiering on Amazon Prime. But there are going to be two new series. One is the uh, final series of Bosch, which stars Titus Welliver, who's a regular in uh, Ben Affleck directed films. He's a good actor. And there's also going to be a series premiere called September Mornings. And actually, now that I think about it, I told you guys that I would see the 2020 version of Pinocchio that premiered on... Amazon prime on June 11th. I haven't gotten to see that, but I'll make it a point to see that next week. I'll just consider myself a little late to the party on Disney plus. It looks like there are no movies that are going to be premiering on the platform. It looks like Luca is the only film that, uh, premiered uh, on Disney plus, of the month of June. There may be more in July, but I don't know about those yet. Moving on to HBO Max, while I still have a few moments on HBO Max, getting down to June 25th, there is a movie that is premiering that's called Exploita Exploita, also known as My Heart Goes Bloom. Let me say that again. The um the, the movie is called Explota Explota, not Exploita Exploita, and the name of the film in English is called My Heart Goes Boom, not My Heart Goes Bloom. What can I say? I make mistakes sometimes. But this is a film that is a 2020 film, but HBO is not calling it an HBO original, but I have never heard of this film. It's a documentary, and as I look it up, I will tell you what it is about. It is a movie based on the hit songs by the popular Italian singer Raffaella Cara. And considering that I don't I don't know who Raffaella Cara is, this might be an interesting jukebox musical. Again, I've seen some jukebox musicals that have disappointed me, particularly in film form. Moulin Rouge, I don't think is as great as everyone else says it is. Across the universe was a huge disappointment in terms of storytelling, but... I'll give this movie a chance if I am able to do so. It doesn't star any actors with whom I'm familiar, but I'll give you a rundown of the stars that are going to be in the film. Ingrid Garcia Johnson, which does not sound like an Italian name, Veronica Echegui, and Fernando Gualar. So I will uh, try to seek that one out, especially since I have HBO Max, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. But there is another documentary that will be premiering on HBO Max. It's a Max original, not just an HBO Max original. And it's called LFG. This one is a documentary. Who LFG is, I could make some guesses. But I will tell you, now that I'm sure, it is a movie about the national... It's a no-hold-barred inside account of the U.S. women's national soccer team's ongoing fight for equal pay. This is a very hot topic these days, and rightly so. LFG, I don't know what that exactly stands for, but I'll find out when I see the documentary and review it for you next week. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.